0: Welcome to The Anchor, the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel San Pedro. Invite you to join us as we journey through God's Word together, learning how to be anchored in Jesus and reflecting his grace. Here is Pastor Jerry Cesario with today's message. You are my John chapter 18. Go ahead and stand. We're going to read verses 28 through 38 together. All right, verses 28 through 38. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said to him, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by which death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? We'll just stop right there. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time to be in your word. We ask that you would just instruct us and teach us and bring us there to the events of that day so that we can have a full understanding of what you endured, what happened to get you on the cross for our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. While the work of the gospel... Really, the effect of the Holy Spirit revealing God's truth to sinners produces new kingdom citizens. It is a sad fact that many will do whatever kind of soul wrangling they need to do to be free from the impact of the words of Jesus and the truth that he spoke, the words of life that he gave. You see, God's heart is to pursue the saint and sinner alike with his truth and his love. But all who confront Jesus must decide what they will do with him. Pilate, as you will see, will be the last stop on Jesus' mission to save sinners. And sadly, he will never truly realize the change that he could have had if he had believed. But God's plans would be fulfilled and this conversation between Jesus and Pilate will open the door for him to go to the cross. Pilate is the only one who has the power to do this. The Jews, as they've said, they don't have the power to put anyone to death. We'll look at that in a moment. But God's plans are going to be fulfilled. This conversation between Jesus and Pilate is important. We're only going to look at a small portion of it. Truth. Is truth not under attack in our culture, and our society? Verse 28, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. You know, the hour has come and the death of Jesus is merely a few hours away. Some political maneuvers are underway here between the religious leaders and Pilate, Rome. Jesus has now been arrested you know, we looked at all this on midweek. He has been arrested. He was questioned by the high priest of Israel, and because he remained steadfast and refused to engage in any further debates, his fate is sealed by the Jews. You know, really, they had sealed it already when they began to the plot to murder him. But they did arrest him. Judas betrayed him. He was arrested. He was led away bound. Which was interesting because when they came in the garden to get him, you know, they said he said, "Who are you looking for?" And they're like, "Jesus of Nazareth." And he said, "I am." And they all fell down to the ground. You know, after that display, I'm sure they were a little bit on edge. But he asked them again, "Who are you looking for?" And they're like, "Jesus of Nazareth." And they're like, "I told you already, I am." And they take him. You know, it's interesting. They bind him. They didn't need to bind him. He was a willing sacrifice. Isaiah 53, as a lamb is led to the slaughter, as it is silent before the shearers, so is the lamb of God that goes. He went willingly. But here, as he's being questioned by the high priest, they're trying to ask him all these questions, he's not going to answer. He said all that he's had to say. He tells them at the beginning of the chapter, if you want to know who I am in my ministry, you just talk to those who have come to me, those who have believed. They'll tell you everything you need to know. Jesus is done. He is confident that his followers and his church is going to carry on his mission. He's going to the cross. So with great disdain and disgust, Caiaphas, the high priest, would use his connections with Rome to have Jesus put to death. In these days, Israel had a new high priest every year or every couple of years because Rome would place that priest there because they wanted someone who would, you know, toe the line, so to speak. And Caiaphas was a rich man. They've done estimates in today's standards with all the kickbacks from you know, Rome, from the money changers. I think uh, in today's terms, these guys, the, the high priests and a lot of the religious leaders, they were millionaires because they, they got so much money from fleecing the flocks of God and from their being in bed with Rome. So Caiaphas has some connections. They bring Jesus to Pilate. He's brought to the place called the Praetorium. This is a word, means the judgment hall. This is where they would do trials for things that happened there in the province. Now, usually in the Judea region, trials were held at Herod's Palace, a little north of there up in Caesarea, Herod's place. But when Pontius Pilate came in, Pontius is a word that means governor, he began to rule the region there. He set up, a praetorium there, a judgment hall in Jerusalem, kind of up on the Temple Mount area. There was the, what's called the Antonio Fortress. It was named after his friend, Mark Anthony. If you know the history of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and all that, he built that there because he didn't want to go up to Caesarea all the time. And there was enough action going on in Jerusalem and he wanted a judgment hall there. Note carefully the hypocrisy of the religious leaders here. They have plotted the death of Jesus. They are ensuring now that He is executed through lies and through murder. They are committing lies and murder at the very least, yet they are concerned about keeping the Passover and not defiling themselves. You know, they're okay to kill someone because of their hatred, but they're not okay to step on the floor of a Gentile. You know, this is the height of spiritual blindness. They are looking forward to eating their lamb with religious fervor. Their their families are at home. Their wives are at home preparing all the goodies around the table. It's their Thanksgiving, you know, so to speak. And they've got the, the lamb being prepared, the whole deal. They're hungry. They're getting ready. It's going to be a great evening, a great afternoon. Because by three o'clock, all the lambs will have been finished being slaughtered. Everybody will pretty much be going home to eat the final Passover meal. They, in those days, you know, there's a lot of different viewpoints, but it looked like they did two nights of Passover because there was just so many people and different family gatherings. But they're getting ready to go eat their lamb and be all religious and pious about it, yet they're not realizing that they are killing the true Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. You guys, what a warning for us to remember always the grace and the mercy of God and realize that we cannot engage in sin but then stand all defiant and indignant against sinners and become all religious all of a sudden. You know, we we tend to do that sometimes, don't we? We downplay the things in our life that we're dealing with or the things that God is dealing with in our lives, and we look at others and say, oh, I would never do that. I can't believe, you know, they do that. And just looking down our noses at people while engaging in or hiding other sins that Jesus sees anyway. You know, let's be careful about that. Let's be truthful to admit that we all need Jesus over everything in our lives and others do too. While Jesus may be done speaking to the Jews, he will speak some intriguing and engaging words now to Pilate, who is a Gentile. And don't forget, Pilate holds his life in the balance, or so he may think. Verse 29, Pilate then went out to them, and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him and said, well, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. It's like they don't even have an answer. He's just an evildoer. Pilate's probably frustrated with all their religious rituals. This is a time of year he probably doesn't look forward to. Just too many people, you know, a lot of unrest, a lot of insurgents, a lot of zealots. I mean, the soldiers have to be really on their guard. So he he kind of wants to be done with this, I'm sure. He asks what accusation is against Jesus and also notice something. He accommodates them. He could very well say, if you want to talk to me, you come on into the judgment hall. But he goes outside. He's like... You know, it's early morning, it's a big religious day, he understands that. The response that they give is political and evil. They use a very charged word here to describe Jesus. The word for evildoer in the Greek is a strong word denoting a very wicked person, a dangerous criminal, someone who is actively engaged in evil acts. You know, how horrible and slanderous is this? What had Jesus done that was evil and horrible? He even told them, I've healed the sick. Open the eyes of the blind. Open deaf ears. Raise the dead. Fed the poor. What had he done that was evil? Yet they call him an evildoer, someone who is just wicked and needs to be put down like a rabid dog. What are these guys. He had taught only the truth. He had changed lives. They had searched for any flaws to exploit, and they had found none. So now they resort to false accusations and slander. Verse 31, then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Notice that. They want him dead, and they tell him that right off the bat. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. At this point in history, just a few years before this, the nation of Israel no longer had the power to carry out capital punishment. This was due to the occupation of Rome there. That action could only be carried out by Rome, crucifixion. How did the Jews kill people? They stoned people to death. In fact, they pick up stones often to try to kill Jesus in their rage, but he always slips away. Why? Well, it's not his time, but now his time has come, but he is to be crucified according to Scripture. This is just another proof, though, the fact that Israel was no longer allowed to execute people who had blasphemed, people who had committed sins under the law of Moses. It's another proof that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, when Jacob blessed his sons on his deathbed, he spoke a very odd prophecy about the scepter or the power of rule not departing from Judah until Shiloh comes. Shiloh, you know, and this is one of those things where we tend to look at this because we've heard it probably a million times. This will be the fourth time we've mentioned it anyway, you know, in, in the Gospels. By the way, I realized that this week too, uh, it's taken us four years to get through the, the four Gospels. We moved into this church. We were, had just started Matthew when we moved into this church. So it's taken us four years. I'm gonna miss going to miss being in the Gospels probably many years before we come back to this path and the, our journey through the whole Bible together but there is an odd prophecy when jacob laid hands on all of his sons to give a blessing which most of these were ended up being prophecies he said of this of judah the scepter shall not depart from judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people shiloh is a very obscure title for the messiah A few years before this, as I said, Rome had given an edict down to Israel that they needed to bring all capital cases to the courts, to their courts. No more stoning people to death. When this happened, the rabbis freaked out. The religious leaders freaked out. Reportedly, they walked through the streets of Jerusalem, tearing their garments, putting the ashes on them, lamenting and saying, woe to us for the scepter has been taken away from Judah and Shiloh has not come. Well, Shiloh had come. He'd been there all along. Now he's standing right before their midst. God's word cannot be broken. They should have known the scepter had been taken away, then that meant the Messiah was there. They should have watched intently for him to appear. John carefully inserts for us that this was necessary because, as Jesus had clearly taught, he must die by crucifixion and not by stoning. Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet, written some 600 years before the Romans even came. Well, the, Roman, the, the Persians invented crucifixion in its earlier forms, but the Romans perfected it. Psalm 22, Zechariah 12, says, they will look upon me. When Jesus comes back, the second coming, and they, he reveals himself to the nation of Israel, it says, they will look upon me whom they pierced. So this had to be the method of the death of Jesus, crucifixion. Many times the Jews would go into a rage and try to stone him, but the sovereign hand of the Father prevented it for this very day. But God's word must be fulfilled and Pilate is the human instrument that will bring it to pass. Who was Pilate? That's a good opportunity to take a look at who this man was. Pilate was a Roman prefect, a high-ranking official sent to govern over the trouble spots in the Roman Empire. He had the full power of Rome over life and death. He did not have to consult anyone to have someone executed. When we've looked at our uh, Essentials of the Faith series, we've talked about crucifixion. At any given time in Jerusalem, there were people crucified lining the streets outside of Jerusalem. That's where they would do it. They would crucify you in a public area. It wasn't you know, a closed-off section where only soldiers were there. It was public. It was like if we did our public executions out in front of the mall or down on the waterfront. You know, this left an impact. I'm always struck by the fact that Jesus has a child going to Jerusalem at Passover with his family. We know now people are being crucified. They can be crucified. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Jesus would have seen that. Jesus, during the three and a half years with his disciples, would have been to Jerusalem. You wonder how his humanity dealt with the fact that when he saw people crucified, knowing that that's where he was headed on the cross. Pilate was known for his iron-fisted rule and his cruelty. But he had his own problem with his superiors. And he was on some pretty thin ice at this time in history. When Pilate first came to Judea, he marched in and made a big procession with his soldiers, and they were all carrying busts of the Roman emperor uh, Caesar. This caused a huge riot among the Jews who saw this as a blasphemous idolatry. After this, Trying to appease them, he diverted temple treasury funds to build an aqueduct. That backfired, and it caused more anger and unrest. Both of these incidents brought Pilate warnings from Rome. He was told, one more incident like this, Pilate, and you're out. Later, I'll share with you on another message what happened to Pilate in his life. It's a very, very sad and tragic story no doubt could have been very different had he believed in Christ. As you can imagine, he's wanting to be very careful now about his dealings with the Jews, and they are up in a rage. This isn't just a couple of guys that have come before him. We know there was nearly a 1,000 people or so that came out in the garden the night before. Many of the religious leaders, Caiaphas is there, the high priest, the one who has dealings with Pilate often, he does not want that ice to break. He's going to do his best. Verse 33 Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him straight out, because this is, you know, the accusation that's being made. Oh, by the way, John doesn't record everything that the other gospels record. You have to look at the other gospels and compare everything together. This is interesting, though, because Jesus never referred to himself as the King of the Jews during his ministry. Yet he was. He's of the line of David. He's going to sit on the throne of David, who was what the King of the Jews. This means that the priests and elders. We're trying to make Jesus out as some zealot who claimed to be a king, thereby threatening the rule of Rome. This was a serious charge. Those who rose up and said they were a king of some sort or a a leader of some sort that was going to overthrow Rome, they were dealt with quickly and put down. The religious leaders hoped that this would stick. Jesus answered Him and said, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? You could almost hear the disdain in his voice. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now, Jesus' answer is pretty straight, pretty to the point. Pilate could care less about Jesus being a messianic king of Israel, but he did care if Jesus claimed to be a king higher than Caesar. Jesus answers him very deftly here. He's asking Pilate if he really wants to know who he is, because Jesus will tell him. Or does he just want to hear him say that he's a king, an earthly king, So that judgment can be passed. Well, Jesus answers, he does admit that he's a king. But in reality, he allays Pilate's judicial fears by indicating that his kingdom is not of this world. You know, he says, if it were, my servants would fight. In the other gospels, he says, I would bring a legion of angels down here. You know, 10,000 angels showing up. Well, a legion's like 6,000. He would bring 6,000 angels to show up. That would mean the end of the world. Because we know from the Old Testament, one angel was able to wipe out nearly 200,000 Assyrian troops. That was just one angel. Imagine what would happen if 6,000 show up. Christian, please don't miss this picture of Jesus, this majestic picture of our king. Pilate asked if he was king of the Jews, to which Jesus acquiesced. But little does he know, he is standing in front of the king of kings and lord of lords. Think about this all the power and glory of God the Father was instantly available for the Son of God. Yet he stands here before an earthly ruler who will be the one who delivers him to death, and he really just says nothing else. My kingdom's not of this world. Do what you need to do, Pilate. For this cause I was born, is what he's going to say in a moment. How easy would it have been for Jesus to look at Pilate and say, you you and I both know what's going on here. You're a wise man. Do the right thing. Let me go. These guys are wicked. They're just lying about me. No, he was on a mission. He's going to willingly go as sheep to the slaughterers, as we said. He came to die for the sins of the world. And Pilate is the only man in Israel right there, the only man on earth in that moment who has the power to make that happen. So with great strength and dignity, Jesus speaks great volumes here Jesus displays a total subjection to the will of the Father in the face of a horrible and excruciating death that is about to happen verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, "Are you a king then?" Jesus answered, "Do you say rightly that I am a king for this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Pilate asked Jesus a second time if he's king, and Jesus answers a second time that he is. In fact, Jesus tells Pilate that this was the whole purpose for him coming into the world, The high king of heaven came to call his people back home. And this is what he has done and he has completed with that mission. He knows that this will seal his fate eventually because Twilight's going to still try to wriggle out of it a little bit, but he's not going to be able to do it. You know, Jesus had taught the truth of heaven and hell, death and sin, life, righteousness, all who believed would come to him, and those who refused would not. Pilate's cynical question shows that he thought Jesus' claim to be a king of truth was foolish. And now he sees no reason to really pass a death sentence on him. Maybe this guy's just nuts. What's going on here? Now, mind you, Pilate's he's a little wiser than that. He's been around the block. He's worked himself through the system of Rome all the way into this position, which was a pretty major position to hold. But This is going to change as political intrigue and pressure from the religious leaders persists. But for now, really, just kind of want to look at what happened here. Because Jesus says, for this cause I was born. This is why I came into the world. When Jesus was born, they came to him bearing gifts for a king. He has lived his life in righteousness and truth, teaching the truth without sin so that sinners could be saved. Everything in Jesus' ministry and his life has come to this, and everyone who is of him and of the truth hears his voice. That's what he's telling Pilate here. In no small way is he telling Pilate, do you want to know the truth? He's already asked him. Are you just kind of going on what they've told you, or do you want to know the truth? You guys, that's one of the biggest problems with humankind to begin with, especially in our culture and our society today. People are just going by what they've been told. That becomes their truth. I believe the Holy Spirit goes forth, as Jesus said he would, to convict the world of sin, and I believe that that is one of the questions the Holy Spirit asks in some way or another in every man, woman, and even child. Do you really want to know the truth? If you really want to know the truth, look to Jesus, look to his word. Pilate knew something religious was at work by the Jews and probably suspected something more was going on. But now Jesus has become, you know, philosophical in his mind, and he is not wanting to go there. Rome was sophisticated. They were educated on all the ways of worldly thought, philosophy, and truth. We're relative. It's whatever you want it to be. I'm not talking about today's society, am I? Now, encapsulated in this part of the exchange is the entirety uh, of John's gospel to begin with. How did John open his gospel? I really thought about this. You know, John's writing of this gospel is so specific on Jesus. That's why this whole series has been that you may have life, that Jesus came that we might have life. Life, eternal life, life more abundantly. Well, But how does John's gospel open? Well, besides, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know he's speaking of God, Jesus, as God being the eternal one. But in verse 14, we read these words, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, what, full of grace and truth. Truth now stands before Pilate, and grace is offered with an open hand, but Pilate just brushes it off and wants to get on with his day. Pilate's question here, cynical as it is, now we don't get the tone and inflection in Scripture, um, but we can just kind of gather that question, what is truth, has been asked for millennia now, and it's still asked today. Today. Men and women reject the truth of God's word. They reject the words of truth and eternal life spoken by Jesus, and they simply get on with their short vapor of a life, only to die one day and find that they've made a terrible mistake. The mantra of this world is that truth is relative and you can make it whatever you want it to be. You can change your truth as often as you'd like to or as often as it doesn't suit you anymore because all truth is personal. It's individual. It's self-interpretive. So they have concluded that there is no true truth about God, about the Bible, about Jesus. You know, there's no need for salvation. Think about it. If, if there's no, no truth... If everything is up for grabs, then there's no need for salvation because there's no sin. Because Jesus spoke the truth about sin and about the human condition and how we must be forgiven of sin. But if you don't believe in truth, if you don't think there's any true truth, if truth is relative to you, that's the relativism, by the way, taught in our colleges to our young people, I just heard a statistic this week about how many people go off to college and just completely disregard and leave their faith. They were raised in church. Homeschooled kids are raised in churches and they are not equipped and they get themselves out into this world and all it takes is one or two professors with a couple of classes to undo everything that their parents had tried. And then they realize, wait a minute, do, is this really what I believe? It's insidious. It's demonic. And you said you go out and do a lot of street outreach, and it's so common to see people say, like, you know, but that's so narrow-minded, and I don't believe that. You know, and you ask them, well, how do you, you know, wh- you, know you, you do that little test with them, and it just works so well. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? You know, it's, it's like, well, Yeah. You know, you know, how do you deal with that? Have you ever, you know, said hateful things about people? Have you ever, uh, you know, engaged in sin- these types of sinful activities? And people will admit that they have. And then you, you ask them, and this is a saddest and tragic thing. You know, how do you deal with that? You know, what do you do to make yourself better? Well, I, you know, I, I resolve to have some personal standards. It's like, okay, that's great. And that works, I'm sure, every New Year's, right? And after a couple of weeks, you're back to doing the same old thing. So how do you atone for that? How do you change that? What do you do? Well, the sad fact is they change their truth. They somehow tell themselves, well, it's okay to do this or have this thought or hate this person or hate this group, you know, because all my peers do. So there's this insidious way that this all wraps around when Jesus has declared truth. Look what he said here thinking along these ways that you can change truth, that there's no relative truth, denies the one who said, for this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Jesus isn't being vague. Jesus isn't being relativistic. It's not just his truth. He is the one who said, come to me and be saved. He is the one who said, you will by no means see God the Father unless you come through me. That's a truth. It's either truth or it's a lie. And Jesus didn't lie. Jesus had been very careful to teach and proclaim that His words were the only guaranteed truth that must be believed in order to have eternal life. His statements were directly from God because He spoke with all the authority of God and as God. You realize nearly 30 times in John's gospel, Jesus makes a statement about him being the truth or believing in him as having the truth. Toward the end of his ministry, Jesus summed up his entire message to the world with these words. And we saw this back in John chapter 8 because John chapter 8 really kind of forms getting close to the very end of his earthly ministry and then he turns to the disciples at that point exclusively. But he said this in John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In chapter 14, he told the disciples that he was the truth and the only way man could see God. In chapter 17, he prayed these words to the Father before he went to the cross. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And by proxy, every word that Jesus spoke because it came from God the Father is truth. Jesus claimed beyond a shadow of a doubt, that He is God. And thus, He is the truth. And if this claim is true, and we believe that it is, because Jesus proved it with all miracles, raising from the dead being the final one, then you must make sure that you believe this and put your faith in Him alone for salvation. And it's interesting, a poll was conducted some years ago that revealed that an estimated 74% of Americans strongly agree that there is only one true God who is holy and perfect and who created the world and rules it today. 74%. That's promising, isn't it? But the same poll also revealed that an estimated 65% either strongly agree or somewhat agree with the assertion there is no such thing as absolute truth. This is people who claim to know God and believe God is true that still leave the door open for there not really being any absolute truth. Once you open that door, man, it's wide open for any other truth but the truth of Jesus and the words that he spoke. That's why you will run into people in churches, people who claim to be Christians or maybe are Christians and they're just not taught good Bible doctrine, they don't have a good Bible teaching church, and they will say things like, well, I don't I don't know if, if Jesus is the only way. I mean, that's my way, that's my path, my Jesus. It's like, no Christian should ever make a comment like that. If you do, or if you run into a Christian that has that kind of a view, please invite them to church so that we can just go through the word of God and teach them and that correct doctrine can just be sowed into their hearts and into their lives. Winston Churchill said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. That may be a common response to the truth, but it places those who brush it off on the road to tragedy and destruction. There's simply no way to say that you love and follow God without loving and following Jesus, who is the truth. The two cannot be separated. I'm thankful that we are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And you know what? There is a distinction because there are churches who say they are a Bible-believing church, but they don't teach the Bible. Therefore, they have all different kinds of things that they do teach. Be thankful that we teach the Word of God here. And you can rely on that every time you come here. I'm not going to decide to get on a soapbox. I've been shocked lately to see even some of the Calvary chapels co-opting their pulpits on Sundays to have popular political speakers come and talk to the church on Sunday about this issue and that issue and these things. And it's like, the, the, you know, I was taught, maybe it's just me, I was taught that Sundays is for pro- proclaiming the word of God and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Politics should not be entering into the church. We don't do that. There's no reason for that. It's just going to turn people away anyway. I could give you my political views every Sunday, and some pastors are really good at doing that. Why would I do that? It's a time to proclaim the gospel. It's a time to teach the Bible. It's a time to teach God's word. My political views don't mean anything. I'm a simple person, you guys. I don't get caught up in those things anyway. I just, I really don't truth is as a teacher of God's word I'm supposed to make sure to give you an application for your life I'm supposed to give you the Bible and nothing but the Bible here it is there's no other way there's no other life because there is no other truth there's your application for the day believe in Jesus apply his truth to your life seek him Follow him. Pick up your cross. Deny the world and follow him. Believe his words when he says things like, I'm the only way. When he says that marriage is between a man and a woman, that's how God designed creation. Believe Jesus is telling the truth, he is the creator. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, if you go to Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 3, we're told that Jesus is the one who is the creator. He is the one who did the creating. The second person of the Godhead is the one who actually did the creating. You think he is not fully aware of when he breathed breath into Adam's lungs and then told Adam to go to sleep and then formed the woman to be by his side and designed those things in the beginning? Jesus is the truth, and he speaks only the truth. Don't let the world tell you any other truth. The Bible is clear. That's the other way John's gospel opened, isn't it? You know, Jesus in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word is God. The Word of God, everything from Genesis to Revelation, speaks God's truth. Follow him, trust in him, believe in him. Don't falter. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Therefore, you do not need to change your views of what is truth. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness to us. And I thank you that you are the truth. And we confess and believe in this room that as the world tries to get us to change our views of what is truth, that we will stand fast in you, our anchor who holds firmly. Hallelujah. You are good, Lord, and we thank you for saving yeah. us. In, you Hallelujah. your truth deep down inside. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to have more information or if you'd like to support the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel San Pedro with Pastor Jerry Cesario, please visit calvarysp.org or find us on Facebook. Until next time, remember to stay anchored in Jesus and reflecting His grace.